Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk podcast. I am Mike Leon. It's staying up way too late to show my age, trying to stay up for some of these returns. I'm Nick Severi. Way too late. That's why you need fresh roasted coffee, Nick. Freshroastedcoffee.com. 20% off. Can we can we get 20 is the promo code. Anyway, enough about our sponsors at Fresh Roasted Coffee. I have my, co- my cup of coffee ready to go for this episode. Uh, on the program today, obviously a special post-election analysis episode. Nick and I will take you through some of the key races, how it all played out this past week. There's still votes being tallied in Nevada, in Arizona. We won't know results of certain things until potentially over the weekend. But Nick and I will take you into the latest Plus, later on in the program, Fox News senior congressional correspondent Chad Pergram, he joins the pod. He breaks down what went right and wrong for certain campaigns this past Tuesday. Chad does a fantastic job breaking everything down. This guy knows everything happening in the world of not only Congress from the House and Senate perspective, but the way he knows tabulations, current votes at the current moment. I mean, Nick and I are researching it. This guy has it in his head already. So, Chad, later on in our second segment, uh, Nick, coffee, caffeinated. Election day. Election should be a week. You and I were talking about this. You know, President Biden ran on making election day a holiday. It's not. Uh, it should be a week. Other countries do a week. How was your election day? How's your week been going as you've been watching all this? And you and I have been texting back and forth. How's everything over there, buddy? Yeah, first and foremost, voting for me was pretty seamless. So in Pennsylvania, uh, my wife did mail-in mail in voting. So you get the ballot in the mail, you fill it out, make sure the date's on it. That was important in the state of Pennsylvania. So I dropped it off at the county office um, for myself. I had my two girls with me, went to the polling place at 8.30 in the morning, 
Palmer Township in Pennsylvania, packed. It was great to see. Um, and people understood. My little one was, you know, being a little crazy first thing in the morning. So we we got through it all. You know, you fill out the form, you know, do all this. The reason I'm being descriptive, by the way, isn't necessarily because I like rambling on this. I, I thought it to, was. Yeah. <laughs> it's to continue to stress the point that voting is not as painful as people think. It is a pretty seamless process. I will say that no one's going to come to your door and give you everything you need. Although I did notice this time in midterms, people texted me nonstop to make sure that I knew where my polling place was, that I knew how to make sure to be able to vote. People checked on the way I was voting. It was my way of replying back and telling people to listen to our podcast. Right. Um, yeah, so, it was, it was yeah, wild. It, it was intense. Yeah. I mean, like I for me personally, not to cut you off there, but like I had a similar experience, but I went right at 7 a.m. The polling uh, precinct right near my house. Um, so obviously I don't take my little one to school until later on about eight thirty nine o'clock. But if I went there a little bit of a line, you know, 10 or 11 people in front of me, but got in and out within 15, 20 minutes, it's not as arduous as people make it out to be. My wife did mail in ballot, but she had to cure her ballot. That is a pain because now you got to reprint the form, sign it. They want your signatures to match. And maybe you have a signature on your license from 10 years ago. You don't remember how you signed in a, in a, cause waiting at the DMV, I'm sure everybody's in a great mood and just signs everything the way they're supposed to, but um, pretty, pretty smooth uh, uh, for us down here in Florida. We're going to get into Florida because Florida had a bunch of different things happen. I got um, some stuff. I want to get off my chest about Marco Rubio. We talked about him in some previous episodes. He has been reelected to the Senate. But let's give you the overview of where we are at this moment right now. Again, as we're taping this, um, some of this information may be a little bit dated right now, but 48 to 49 right now in the U.S. Senate, Democrats have 48 current races in their favor, picking up one seat, the one in Pennsylvania, with obviously John Fetterman, the lieutenant governor, being Dr. Oz there. Republicans have picked up 49 seats. One, two seats still remain, obviously, actually three, because Mark Kelly in Arizona's race has not been called. Adam Laxall is leading in Nevada against the incumbent there. And then you have what's going to happen in Georgia on December 6th, and there'll be a runoff between Herschel Walker and Dr. Raphael Warnock, uh, Reverend Raphael Warnock, excuse me, I just gave him a doctorate degree for no reason. Um, and then in the House, obviously, right now, uh, Democrats had a majority before. Uh, this election. And right now they have 187 seats accredited to them. One, by the way, congratulations to Se uh, Representative Seth Moulton, who was recently on the program. He won his reelection campaign there in Massachusetts. You can go check out what he said in the previous episode. Uh, so 187 seats right now for the Democrats, 207 seats right now called for across the networks, four Republicans, 15 pickups in key house races. Nick and I are going to get into that in a second. And then in the governor's races right now, 22 Democratic candidates have been called for right now from key governor's races. Obviously, you know some of them in Wisconsin, in Michigan with Gretchen Whitmer, uh, in New York with Kathy Hochul winning re-election there. In the GOP, they've won 24 governorships, Ron DeSantis being the most notable one in Florida, uh, being re-elected there. Uh, obviously, in Arkansas, Sarah Huckabee Sanders won the governorship there. Obviously, her father was a governor there. And then, obviously, uh, Governor uh, Greg Abbott beating Beto O'Rourke 
down in Texas. Nick and I are going to get into that in a second. So that's kind of where we are right now at this moment. As of this taping, we're still waiting on the governor's race in Arizona between Carrie Lake and Secretary of State Katie Hobbs there. Uh, We're still waiting for a few Senate races, like I mentioned before, and we're waiting for a bunch of U.S. House races, including Lauren Boebert right now, who is currently losing as of this taping by 62 votes with 94 percent of the precincts reporting in about six percent left. And some of the, the precincts that are still left to report in lean largely Democratic, according to registered voters. So she could be losing her seat there. Um, I gave the overview here, Nick. We're going to play some sound bites in a second. For actually, you know what? Let's get to the soundbots now. Here's what some of the victory speeches sounded yesterday. If you didn't hear from some of the Republicans or Democrats, there's a bunch of things that happened yesterday. First timers across the board. Wes Moore, the first black governor to win in Maryland. Multiple members of the LGBTQ community winning key races. Governorship. You're going to hear from one in a second in Moore Healy in Massachusetts. But this is the way the messaging kind of went uh, along the lines for Republicans that did win and for Democrats uh, that did win. Take a listen to this. We fight the woke in the legislature. We fight the woke in the schools. We fight the woke in the corporations. We will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Florida is where woke goes to die. I stand before you tonight proud to be the first woman and the first gay person ever elected governor of Massachusetts. As I'm governor, women will always have the freedom to control their own bodies, and our state, our state will provide access to safe, legal abortion. We will protect women, we will protect patients, and we will protect providers, Massachusetts. You heard there from some of the governors there, obviously Ron DeSantis, the first one getting reelected in Florida, beating Charlie Chris, Moore Healy in Massachusetts that I mentioned, the first openly a gay woman to win uh, the governorship there in Massachusetts. President Biden also gave a presser earlier in the day. Obviously, Nick and I are going to get into this in a second, but the media coverage of this, all the articles from the different outlets, the different pollsters um, from Nate Cohn to Nate Silver to anybody named Nate, really, uh, that really does polling, um, was expecting this red wave, right, where the Republicans would take back the House emphatically, just given the statistical data over the history of uh, first-year presidents or first-term presidents and how they tend to lose seats to the other party uh, during the midterm elections. That hasn't totally happened yet. Obviously, I mentioned there's still some key races left. The magic number is 218 in the House of Representatives to control that. Republicans are 11 off right now as of this taping. But take a listen to what President Biden said about everything that happened on election night. While the press and the pundits are predicting a giant red wave, uh, it didn't happen. And I know you were somewhat miffed by my my, uh, obsessive optimism, but uh, I felt good during the whole process. I thought we were going to do fine. While any seat lost is painful, some good Democrats didn't win the last night. Democrats had a strong night. And we lost fewer seats in the House of Representatives than any Democratic president's first midterm election in the last 40 years. And we had the best midterm for governors since 1986. The states across the country uh, saw record voter turnout. And the heart and soul of our democracy, the voters, the poll workers, the election officials, Uh, They uh, did their job uh, and they fulfilled their duty. 
apparently without much uh, interference at all, without any interference, it looks like. And that's a testament, I think, to the American people. Nick, I just played a bunch there, a uh, lot to digest, a lot to look at with respect to the map, still things that are outstanding. I want to shout out a few people, Deepa Shivram and Jimena Bustillo, both at NPR, both friends of the pod that are covering the respective races in Nevada and Arizona. A um, bunch of different people that you and I have interviewed on this program. Uh, it was their Super Bowl last night, right? Sabrina Rodriguez in the Washington Post. She was in Georgia covering Raphael Warnock. Matthew Brown from the Washington Post as well is still there in Georgia. Uh, I, I forget what it was that he was doing, but he posted something recently uh, on what he's working and, and, and whose election campaign he was covering for the Washington Post. Nolan McCaskill has been on this program. He was out in California covering Speaker McCarthy's reelection campaign. So everybody working uh, over the last couple of days, uh, hope you all are staying safe, uh, safe travels whenever you get back to your respective cities. I know that this is uh, it's it's not laborious to vote, but the process sometimes for some of these states to count the votes is laborious. So shout out to all of them uh, for staying safe and keeping us all informed. I'm going to get into some of Deepa's reporting that was great on the NPR level, especially of what's happening in Nevada. But your overall takeaways, Nick, uh, your overall takeaways, excuse me, if I could speak uh, on the night on some of the stuff that you heard there and the victory speeches from uh, Ron DeSantis and, and Maura Healy and then President Biden's thoughts as well. Yeah, I mean, in the end, you can make the argument that everything landed the way it kind of sounded like it would, you know, in the end, there's a good chance the Democrats maintain control of the Senate. They were going to lose the House. You know, what comes up often is this conversation of this red wave. And I'm so tired of labels here. But, um, you know, typically in a midterm election, usually Republicans tend to fare very well. Uh, and they simply didn't. And, and I'm not just saying this, you know, from a politically slanted perspective. You know, there were folks on Fox News. We've seen pundits all over recognize the fact that what was thought of to be a major swing toward the Republican Party really didn't happen. Yeah, Even we're going to but real quick, we're going to yeah, play yeah. some of that later on in the program because there were different pundits. And I get to that in, with Chad in the next segment. But it is true. Uh, uh, a lot of them had some uh, choice words, especially too, and a lot of ire directed at the former president as well. But that, I didn't want to cut off your train of thought, but yeah, it is true. No, it's yeah, it, it was it was surprising. I mean, I think in many ways, Democrats came out, came to vote in a same level of aggression as Republicans. I'll use a perfect example. You know, John Fetterman, who got the concession call from Dr. Oz, I think either early this morning or a little later into the day. So he's officially won his race. After two weeks ago, we saw most of us watch. I sent clips to Mike about this a really poor appearance at a Senate debate. Only a couple of weeks before Election Day, Fetterman had a pretty sizable lead. On that debate stage, simply did not sound effective. We can talk about the stroke all we want. At the end of the day, as a voter, you see that and you ask yourself, how do I feel about John Fetterman being the senator of my state? And the answer overwhelmingly is that Pennsylvanians thought, yes, regardless, regardless of his of his physical state, they were going to vote him in. And that's the kind of political fervor that Republicans have typically always had. The one thing that the Republican Party has always done is that they've unified 
over a sense of urgency, a sense in many ways of fear of where the country is allegedly going. And that's something they've been running on you know, for almost 40 years now. And it works, though. It absolutely works. Democrats this year really kind of kind of gave them a taste of their own medicine, coupled with what seems to be a backlash against Trump. But some of the other things that really stood out, three things really around young voters. One is youth turnout was incredible. You know, I have been on this show and I've um, I have lambasted young voters and, you know, numbers usually tend to serve me well there. But I have never been more happy to be proven wrong. There were so many clips of students waiting online at various colleges to vote. Um, the youth turnout was stupendous. It was just beyond incredible. And that also meant we also saw two at least two winners of Generation Z. You know, those folks who I believe were born. Around a little after 2000, they, you know, they are the generation after millennials. Two of them are now members of Congress, one of which I think is in New Hampshire. The other one is in Orlando. Um, so and at the same time, by the way, in terms of young Democrats, the justice Democrats, you know, most notably Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, um, they're up to about 11 members now in Congress. That's a pretty decent sized caucus. You know, the Democratic Party was very clear for, you know, on a far left fringe, like making sure they were going to show up by either, either as voters or in terms of campaign strategy. Um, and this we will probably get into this at some point. But, you know, interestingly, Tim Ryan took a very different approach in Ohio, which, Mike, I know you want to talk about with J.D. Vance in the moment. Uh, but, you know, those are some of the things that really stood out. But something else I want to call attention to is some of the referendums that came up ballots that came up we always talk you know when we do when we talk about this and for mike and i this is two years of the show and this is our you know second second time around with post-election analysis and you know this time what stood out to me is a couple things one state of nebraska passed 15 dollars an hour for minimum wage if i had told you a state had just passed 15 dollars minimum wage how far down the list of 50 states are we going before you say nebraska 45. probably the second thank you exactly <laughs> you're gonna right. go low um, but at the same time, in the state of California, no legalized gambling did not pass. If you are a user of two gambling apps, which I will not name here because we want their sponsorship, we're not going to give them free publicity. Correct. You can't use either one there. It, it was just amazing. At the, and also, one last thing I'll share, too, in terms of abortion, the following five states, actually, I think I have four here, um, that had on the ballot you know, the ability to have abortion protections in place, Vermont, California, Kentucky, Michigan, all four cases, the pro-abortion argument won out. Um, you can add five if you want to talk about Kansas earlier this year. Um, then you had legalized marijuana in Maryland, along with their first black governor in West Moore. So, you know, while we're talking about the you know people who won the campaigns, people, um, the issues were really stunning, you know, with with Kentucky particularly, you know, they the pro-abortion vote won out. You know, they've shot down a constitutional amendment uh, to ban abortion. Yet they also elected Rand Paul, who is a very pro-life candidate, a very pro or rather an anti-abortion candidate. Go to his website. You'll see his stance on what he calls a quote unquote sanctity of life. I say quote unquote because he's not a um, he's not one for gun you know, rights advocacy or for you know, for gun law. So make of that what you will. So there's these interesting contrasts. And Mike, you and I, going back to you now, we're texting about this. There were places where it felt like a split ticket vote. You know, people kind of went in different directions. 
So just going back to you about that, what were some of your observations of just sort of mixed messages coming from states with the way they voted? Yeah, you know, I'm so glad you said that because um, I, I didn't even know about the state constitutional amendment in Kentucky until you had told me about it. And obviously, you know, that dichotomy with Rand Paul, it's like, how does that jive, you know, where, where you're voting a pro-life anti-abortion senator and then you obviously vote um, against that state constitutional amendment? A couple of things that stood out for me, um, specifically in two states where one where my sister lives, one where I live, uh, Beto O'Rourke losing really badly and not only losing badly, but in the counties where the mass shootings have happened in Uvalde, the one that happened in El Paso, um, he lost by almost double digits in a lot of those counties. And those counties were affected by personal tragedies. I mentioned Uvalde, and obviously that's the one probably that is most top of mind. And because of where it happened in elementary school, largely Hispanic community, it's something that's near and dear to my heart. We've covered that and have had people on that have covered that. And it's it's heartbreaking. And Beto went to these different counties as part of his outreach and was really, listen, I'm with you. Let's change the gun laws in this state. And then he goes out there and he gets trampled. Like he gets absolutely trampled, not even close. I don't know what's next for Beto O'Rourke, but I do know this. The state of Texas has rejected him twice. And I know he'll keep fighting to try to do something for his home state. But man, they, I, they, I don't know. I, I don't know how he continues to try to land in state politics there in Texas with the responses he's gotten at the Senate level and then at the governor level. And he's tried different things with respect to his campaigns. Um Another big thing for me uh, here in the state of Florida, Charlie Chris losing is one thing. He was a former governor of the state. He was a former Republican that switched over to the Democratic Party. The way he lost and by how bad, some people, uh, I saw uh, somebody from the Lincoln Project, I forget who it was, saying that he probably should have lost by more and we should be talking about that. But either way, it's not a shock for me that DeSantis won by how much he won by. Chris is just not a good candidate. And the Florida Democratic Party here uh, doesn't make the same inroads in messaging that the Republican Party does with respect to the communities that look like me, that sound like me, the Latino communities and Spanish radio and language uh, ads that are targeted to Spanish voters. And that's the reason why DeSantis was able to carry a large swath of, of what's normally blue counties, not only in Orlando, but also down here in Dade, Broward and Palm Beach counties. Um, Lauren Boebert about to lose potentially the fact that this race was down to 62 votes just goes to show you the importance of you need to go out there and vote for people to say, oh, no, my vote is I'll sit this one out. Look at that. 62 votes. Again, just as of this taping, that number is going to increase in either direction because there's still 6% of the precincts that are being counted. Um, I mentioned this in the next segment to Chad, but um, one thing that was, I don't want to say mystifying, but it was just, it was just odd and spoke to more of the anomalies that we saw last night. Ohio and Pennsylvania was a tale of like very similar stories. In my opinion, Tim Ryan it lives in the state. He's from the state. He represents the state currently for the U S house of representatives. He's going up against a trunk back candidate. Who's not from the state. The same thing with Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Fetterman works in government in the state already. He is, he's from the state. The guy he's going up against is a Trump back candidate who doesn't live in the state. And you had two different results with respect to J.D. Vance really beating uh, uh, Tim Ryan by a lot. 
and the Democratic Party not putting money uh, to help Tim Ryan with ads with respect to the final few weeks there, final few months. And some of that was Tim Ryan calling them off. And then Dr. Oz, you mentioned that he conceded a little while ago as of this taping, but he lost by a lot, too. And and so it's just the polar opposites of how, um, you know, in 2020, you got to look back and say, well, look, Donald Trump carried Ohio, Pennsylvania, Joe Biden carried Pennsylvania. So the trends kind of continued. But it was just funny to see two similar stories, specifically in the Senate, and one going in one direction, one going in the other one. Um, you mentioned young voters turning out. Uh, we talked about Wes Moore, who was supposed to be on the program in our live DC show. So shout out to him. We just couldn't get the scheduling linked up. But the fact that he was able to win the governor's race there um, and pretty soundly, too, um, that that race was called pretty early into the night. Uh, multiple members of, of the LGBTQ community winning across different states in Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, Colorado, uh, California. So. Shout out to representation for showing up in in uh, in a bunch of different places here in, in government. Um, the big thing, the last big thing for me before I turn it back to you, and we'll hear from some folks also that I mentioned earlier on the Republican side of the aisle that had some pretty harsh choice words for the party overall and the night that they had. But um, Marco Rubio, um, listen, I, I mentioned it already. I live here in the state. I'm registered here in the state. Um, it's one thing for Ron DeSantis to win, and I get why Ron DeSantis uh, won and whether or not he fulfills you know, the, the governorship fully because he decides to run 2024 is another story. But I was talking with somebody earlier and we were talking about what are some things that Marco Rubio has done in this guy's voting record? Why would people vote for Marco Rubio? And I mentioned already the engine of the Florida Republican Party versus the Democratic Party. Um, so many different letters filling up my inbox of Ron DeSantis, targeted ads for streaming services that I would use, all pitching Ron DeSantis stuff, text message exchanges that I sent to you, Nick, that I showed you that were you know admonishing uh, Charlie Crist, all from the Republican Party. Um, th- the Republican Party here has a machine, and Marco Rubio is fortunate enough to be a part of that machine because if you just look at his voting record from the last year, from the last calendar year, okay, he voted no for the Inflation Reduction Act. I was looking at some of these today. He voted no on the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act, Nick. If you go to votesmart.org, you can look at any senator or House of Representatives voting record on a couple of different issues. Marco Rubio voted no to pass a bill that amends and appropriates funds for gun reform, including increased background checks, red flag laws, school safety, and mental health costs. He voted no for that. It would increase background checks for individuals under the age of 21 to buy, sell, transfer firearms, and it establishes a federal clearinghouse on school safety standards to compile the best practices to make developmentally appropriate recommendations. Again, votesmart.org if you want to see the voting record of anybody that represents you. The Domestic Terrorism Act, Nick, of 2022, this was in May. He voted no against this. Again, what is that, Mike? It establishes new requirements to expand the availability of information on domestic terrorism. How many times have we had people that worked in government or are still working in government that have talked about the rise of domestic extremism and terrorism here in this country? This would have authorized the FBI to assign special agents or hate crime liaisons to each field office to investigate hate crimes with a nexus to domestic terrorism. Okay, it would establish an interagency task force to analyze and combat white supremacy and neo-Nazi 
infiltration of the uniformed services and federal law enforcement agencies. All you have to do is listen to a recent, the DC show that we did and former FBI special agent Pete Lapp making that very point about going under the hood of some of our agencies from a local, state, and federal perspective and what we would find if we did that. This bill would have done that. Marco Rubio voted no for it. I just couldn't believe when I started kind of going deeper into the ballot itself and what it is that you're voting for and what these candidates have stand for, you really have to start looking at resumes. You take R&D out and you look at resumes. And I just gave you three bills that Marco Rubio voted no for. Two of them were on a bipartisan nature, that they were sponsored by two people from different sides of the aisle. And he voted no for gun reform and to stop and combat white supremacy and domestic terrorism. I am I am mystified. He ran up against a law and order candidate in Val Demings, who was a former police chief. Okay, doesn't want to defund the police. None of these woke terms like Governor DeSantis said in the clip that we played earlier. She is a former law enforcement official. She formally represented the state in the U.S. House of Representatives, and she had zero to none chance to beat Marco Rubio here in Florida. That to me is the most eye-opening thing. Now, again, we can get into the money funneled in, how many more registered Republicans there are down here as opposed to Democrats, regardless of all that, regardless of all that. And I said this on national TV, and yes, I'm flexing because I was on national TV. You got to take out R&D, get back to right, wrong, policy. Policy that affects your constituency. I just gave you three things that would make people safer and combat the domestic terrorism and would uh, enact legislation so we can keep our kids safe and not have guns in the hands of people that shouldn't have them. And Marco Rubio voted no for both of them. I was really taken aback by Marco Rubio winning by so much. He wins by a close margin. I get it, especially the Cuban-American vote down here in Miami-Dade County. But the fact that he won by so much is alarming to me. And I don't know if Florida is just a part of that anomaly, because like you mentioned, there wasn't a big red wave that happened. And speaking of that, Nick, I want to get your takeaways on this because you just mentioned about this red wave and we kept seeing about a red wave and everybody's waving hands with red on them. Okay. But there was a few Republicans last night that kind of reacted to this. And I want to get your impressions of this because both of them said this on different outlets, one on Fox News, one on ABC News. And it was, it was, to me, it kind of resonated and said, yeah, this is what moderate Republicans have been saying for the last two years. And now on election night, when you see what is playing out in some of these races and how Democrats have been competitive, it speaks to what the Republican Party needs to get back to. Take a listen to this. I think it sends a message to the country, along with some other states, that this is truly a pivot point for the Republican Party. Uh, this is a time that Donald Trump is no doubt in the rearview mirror, and it's time to move on with the party. It's time to move on with candidate quality. It turns out Mitch McConnell knew what he was talking about, about candidate quality. We've seen it in Georgia and other places around the country where if they would have just woke up 12 months ago and stopped taking his lead and took the lead of what real, real Republicans, real conservative policies meant and mattered, we'd be in a diff different place. We have the worst inflation in four decades the worst collapse in real wages in 40 years, the worst crime wave since the 1990s, the worst border crisis in U.S. history. We have Joe Biden, who is the least popular president since Harry Truman, since presidential polling happened, and there wasn't a red wave. That is a searing indictment of the Republican Party. I mean, those words, like I heard that yesterday on Fox News, that was Mark 
uh, Thiessen. Uh, he's the former uh, speechwriter for President George W. Bush. And then the first person that you heard there was Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan in Georgia. He actually retired this year, or actually decided not to run again, excuse me. And he's been replaced by Burt Jones, who currently has a commanding lead in the race. And Burt Jones is an election denier. And so it's it's very troubling right now. And that's probably why he said those comments. But when you hear something like that, Nick, we've been covering a lot of this on the show. Uh, I've been saying this a bunch about the right, wrong fact fiction. Let's let's cut out R&D and just look at policy issues. And similar to what uh, Lieutenant Governor Jeff Duncan said there. Right. What are conservative policies? Let's get back to the message of what are conservative policies versus what are more progressive leaning policies. And then let the voters decide. Mark spelled it out pretty easy there. They had a choice. The Democrats have done X, Y, Z, and Biden has the lowest approval rating. And yet we still couldn't get over this proverbial hump. What were some of your takeaways there on on the clips I just played there from both guys? Well, to the second clip, the um, the crime statistic always triggers me a little bit, no pun intended, uh, because it's such a manipulation. Um, if you think crime is worse now than, say, like the 1970s or 1980s, I don't know what to do with you. Um, I, I think it's it's a it's a foolish argument. And I think Republicans like to move the goalposts on what they consider a crime, honestly, violent crime versus um, property crime, for example. There's actually an interesting statistic that came out recently in terms of media coverage about bail reform paired with um violent crime and the reality is that violent crime actually continues to you know subside but coverage was shooting up uh, especially as we got to election time and it's important to say it because i think we need to continue to demystify this i this idea um and there's a friend i have in my mind as i say this this is a myth about rising crime and there's only one party in america who's been doing this since 1968 uh and this is their you know this is their stock and trade anyway um but they're both they both bring up an interesting point, though, is that economically you could see an argument for for Republicans, although I'll also argue that Republican plan is non-existent. Go ahead and look at the you know uh, Kevin McCarthy's website because there's no plan there about economic recovery. Um, but it was stunning. You would think that in a bad economy that the party that is not in the White House would be able to repudiate, you know, the the current the sitting president. And it just didn't, simply didn't happen. So then you ask yourself, well, what what caused that? And there is a watering down effect of Trump. So Trump is who he is. And people are just, you know, some people are drawn to him. Some people are repulsed by him. But the Trump effect, this idea that, well, if you're associated with Donald Trump, you, too, will also be successful. Right. You, too, can carry a sizable enough you know, percentage of the vote. And in many cases, it just didn't work. You know, in Pennsylvania, we had an election denier in Doug Mastriano, um, who's also, you know, into all kinds of heinous stuff, um, lost pretty convincingly against Josh Shapiro. You know, we had a couple of election deniers that, you know, that were you would have thought would have performed better, but simply didn't. There's a legitimate chance that Carrie Lake is going to lose in the state of Arizona for the governor's race. And I didn't think that was possible because I didn't think Katie Hobbs ran that great a campaign. Um, But to keep running on the big lie, it might be what keeps Donald Trump getting money in his pockets because people were foolish enough to keep donating to a a campaign that may never, ever happen. Um, And that's on you. But the simple association with him doesn't doesn't necessarily pan out. And I'll use a sports analogy here. You know, we've seen successful coaches 
Mike and I both are fans of a team where we're seeing this happen right now, where the assumption is, well, that successful coach, you know, people around him or her must be through osmosis as intelligent, as savvy, um, will be as successful and almost with few exceptions. That is not the case. And it's because owners and general managers can sometimes be intellectually lazy and just say, well, I can't get the thing, so I'll get something close to it. It's like the RC Cola of you know, good Coca-Cola head coaches. Um, and I think that's what we're seeing with Trump. I think the more years removed we are from him being out of the White House, the, the party has a, has a problem. Uh, I've said this before about Mitch McConnell. We don't agree on anything. But on this one of quality candidates, he said this about Senate candidates a couple of months ago. And the day he said it, I said, you know, on that one, I agree with it, that you can't keep putting out people like Mehmet Oz. Herschel Walker, that's going to a runoff. That's basically a given now. So even that didn't work because we're going to go to a runoff. Remember, in the state of Georgia, about 55 percent, 55,000 voters voted for the libertarian candidate. I think it was Chase Oliver. Up until last night, I don't even know who the hell Chase Oliver is. Do you think those same 55,000 people are going to vote for a third party on December 6th? Probably not. So it's a question of where does that 55,000 move one way or the other? And we're going to see it play itself out in Georgia. Um, You know, we saw it just the association with Trump, I don't think carries as much weight as it does. Um, I think some of you know, I went to see, you know, former Attorney General Bill Barr speak. You at an event in New York City a couple of weeks ago. I guess that's my mini flex here, right? <laughs> Not that impressive of one, but um, and even the former Attorney General in that audience was talking about, you know, the future of the party is is to be removed away from Trump. And Barr had said himself that the future of the party may be with Ron DeSantis, which is a chilling thought. But anyone but Trump is is the direction I think many moderate Republicans want to see the party go. And last night may have been the first time we're really feeling the feeling the brunt, the party's feeling the brunt of an association with someone who really doesn't represent your values or really any values of an American at this point. But the association with him may have worked in 2016. It didn't really you know, hold up really well in 2018, if we're really being honest with ourselves about midterm elections. And it repeated itself last night. Yeah. Well, the pandemic didn't help him in 2020 in his response. Uh, that, that's just on a personal front, uh, among other things, but that didn't help him uh, amongst exit polls that that showed that. Uh, one thing I wanted to note before we go to the break here, um, the New York Post released a headline. I don't know if you saw it on their front page. Uh, and obviously the Murdochs do own the New York Post and my former employer at Fox News. Uh, but Trumpy Dumpty was the headline and it has a rhyme with a picture of Donald Trump. And a lot of people are sharing this now on social media because it's kind of speaks to maybe the party is moving past Trump. He hasn't announced yet. He's been going to these rallies saying that something's coming up very, very soon. But we've seen and we just played one a pundit and then obviously somebody who was the lieutenant governor of, of a state where Brian Kemp just uh, won governorship there and beat Stacey Abrams. Um, they both said it. The party, this is an inflection point for the party right now, moving past this guy who has caused seismic shifts and has gotten people into office who don't believe the results of an election. By the way, on a real quick front, I was thinking about this, Carrie Lake, and I would love for you to respond, Carrie Lake. Carrie Lake, not Nick Saveri. Carrie, have you ever gone to a Cardinals game and they lose the game and you and your buddies just storm the field and start fighting the other team and the referees and force everybody to just stay there and play until the Cardinals win? Do you remember when that happened? Because that's never happened. And that's the way life works. 
You lose, you move on, you try to regroup. Look at Stacey Abrams, who's lost twice now in Georgia, and what she's done from a mobilization standpoint of getting voters to vote, and then what they did in the midterms. She's another one, right? Another state where she's from and has lived with high school, and the state has not elected her two different times when she's run. We could get into that and why that happened it, all for another episode. Um, I, I'm so glad you mentioned about the Chase Oliver thing. One final note before the break. Um, Chase Oliver got 81,000 votes yesterday in the state of Georgia, which is probably why Raphael Warnock, who was at 49.4% as of this taping, and Herschel Walker was at 48.5%, didn't get to 50% and meet the threshold. And that's why they're going to the December runoff. Um, if you voted for Chase Oliver, you might as well have taken that ballot and thrown it in the garbage. Uh, and that's just Mike Leon's message right here, because unfortunately, um, folks, we don't live in a multi-party system like other countries around the world. It's, it's a two horse race. You got to vote for A or B. OK, and I know the choices are and I use a sports term uh, Falcons and Panthers. Right. I get it. Not the best of options, but you have to vote for either one. Voting for a team that plays in the NHL when it's an NFL game, this doesn't make any sense. And so if you voted for Chase Oliver, you did not help the process. I know you participated in the process, but in my opinion, you did not help the process because now we're going to a December runoff and now we're going to have to see what plays out then. We leave it there. Uh, when we come back after the break, Chad uh, Pergram, he's Fox News' senior congressional reporter. Now, we were able to get Chad on the phone. We were having some t technical audio issues with the interview. So apologies for the way Chad kind of sounds in a couple different spots. But Chad broke down a bunch of different things that happened last night on election night. He does a great job across the Fox News family of programming and podcast. This guy understands everything. He helped us break down some of the election analysis from Tuesday night. Chad, after the break. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. The presenting sponsor of Can We Please Talk is Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world. You know how much Nick and I drink coffee. We love it here. I'm a K-Cup guy. Nick's that French press guy over there. Uh, right, Nick? You're a French press guy. 
I am, but I've also used a, a, a Chemex. I've also used right. a percolator like most people do. Yeah, but regardless of your type of grind, Fresh Roasted Coffee's got you covered. In addition to single origin blends, Mike's a Colombian person. I'm a Sumatra drinker. They've also got a variety of flavors. You also get sampler packs too. I'm all about the sampler packs. But most importantly, let's say coffee's not your thing. If you're a tea person, mm -hmm. they got you covered too, That's Mike. Right. They cover all their bases. So go there and learn about your your learn about your coffee style. You go there to a three, four question quiz. You'll find out what coffee is recommended for you. So you're learning something in addition to buying something. But as a listener, there's an additional benefit for buying from Fresh Roast Coffee. Look at this man. This man sets up the softball. I hit it out of the park. It is true. Um, if you take that questionnaire that's on their site, it's awesome. And it gets you right into the flavor profile that, that matches you best with the coffee that you should be buying. But you want to enter a promo code at checkout. Put all that stuff into the cart there. Enter in the promo promo code, excuse me. Can we get 20? Can we get 20? This offer is valid for new fresh roasted coffee and positively tea customers. You're going to get 20% discount on any and all coffee and tea unless otherwise specified code is not valid for branded merchandise or coffee gear one use per customer head to freshroastedcoffee.com today all right chad pergram joins us here on the program he's fox news's senior congressional correspondent chad mike leon thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us thanks for having me good morning Good morning, uh, Chad. Uh, well, you just gave away when we're recording this, but um, I, I want to get from you a bunch of different takeaways. Without much sleep, actually. <laughs> right. Well, you like I mentioned to you, like I mentioned to you off air, you're, you're one of my favorites to listen to in terms of everything that's been happening with all these key congressional races. So I want to get from you real quick before we dive into a few states specifically, the 30,000 foot view. What, what were some of your takeaways last night? Obviously, as we're taping this, there's still some key races in Georgia and Nevada that are still too close to call. But what were some of your takeaways that you noticed on election night? You know, there were races I was looking at in the Northeast, in Virginia, not far from Washington, D.C., a few in the Midwest, which if they went in the direction of the Republicans, we were confident that was going to be a, a signal of big night, this wave, this tsunami that we kept hearing so much about. And you go to Virginia, there were three competitive House races there. Guess what? Democrats held two of the three. Uh, New York supposedly is a, is a, a place where Democrats should do well. Uh, but it was interesting with the redistricting process in New York State, which the Democrats should have controlled, but they kind of overcorrected in that sense. These districts were drawn more in favor of the GOP. Republicans did very well there. But there were some other races in New Hampshire, in Maine with Jared Golden, um, certainly a, a race in Rhode Island. Jim Langevin, Democrat, is retiring. And that was a race that they thought that uh, uh, the mayor of Cranston, Rhode Island, uh, Alan Fung, could win, a Republican, uh, over Seth Magaziner. I'm from Ohio. I was looking at a couple of races there. Marcy Kaptur from northern Ohio, the most senior woman to ever serve in the House of Representatives. She held on. Uh, Steve Shabbat, uh, who has been in the House since 1994, and he lost in the big a Democratic wave in 2008 with President Obama and then came back in 2010 in the Republican wave. He lost to Greg Landsman uh, in the Cincinnati area. And so, you know, you could see if you saw most of those races trending toward the Republicans, uh, that was going to be a big GOP night. And that's not what we got. And uh, in fact, we were starting to hear early on, maybe in August or so, this might not be a big GOP wave. This might be a ripple. Here's the difference between these big wave elections. What happened in 2010 and some of the other years 
is that the bottom dropped out for the Democrats early, like September 1st of October. That never happened. And you had all of these even Stephen races across the board. Now, in 2020, there were about 28 jump ball races in the House of Representatives, and all of them except one fell in favor of the Republicans. Well, it's going to be hard to run the table once again. And now what you've had happen, uh, with the exception of Florida and a couple of other places, many of those races have fallen in favor of the Democrats. And that's why if Republicans, in fact, do get control of the House, it's going to be a very narrow majority. That, that, that bottom never fell out. So even though people were still forecasting this wave, the other problem uh, that we saw is that President Trump, former President Trump, uh, I was told by a source this morning, he was just absolutely killing the Republican Party with independent voters. Uh, they thought after that special election race in upstate New York in August uh, that that was kind of a bellwether, that things would go in the Democrats' direction here. And maybe it was. I mean, guess what? Things went in the Democrats' direction there in a special election in Alaska. That's a seat that the Democrats have held on to. But we were told, oh, you know, the independents, they will come home uh, and maybe go with the Republican Party because of issues like inflation and the economy and crime and so on and so forth. Well, guess what? That never really, really happened. Uh, those independents did not come home. And a lot of it was the toxicity of the former president with that core of voters. You know, Chad, I want to get into because you just mentioned Ohio there. And there's a couple different things that I noticed last night just in watching some of the coverage but Ohio and Pennsylvania, to me, are a tale of two states and maybe a microcosm of all of this. Um, you've got uh, Mike DeWine and J.D. Vance both won uh, their respective races, whereas Fetterman and, and uh, the governor candidate, who I'm uh, Josh Shapiro, excuse me, won last night in Pennsylvania. So Democrats for the Pennsylvania side, uh, Republicans for the Ohio side. What are some of your takeaways of how Ohio and Pennsylvania kind of spoke to this microcosm of we thought it was going to be this perennial red wave. We've been hearing some of these things. And then in some of these states where Trump backed candidates lost pretty big, like Dr. Haas did. And then, and then in Ohio, J.D. Vance beating out Tim Ryan, who represented the state in the U.S. House of Representatives. What are some of your takeaways on on the microcosm of, of Ohio and Pennsylvania on election night? Well, let's start with Ohio, Northeast Ohio. If you go back to 2016, the Mahoning Valley, southeast of Cleveland, and this was the, the district that Tim Ryan to this moment still represents in the House of Representatives, uh, that was the core of Trump country uh, nationwide. In fact, you had, you know, that had always been a pro-union uh, Democratic voting area, and all of a sudden they jumped off the Democratic bus in 2016 and sided with the, the Republicans and President Trump. Yet, Tim Ryan continued to win elections. In fact, he ran against House Minority Leader, then Minority Leader Pelosi in 2016, uh, challenged her and got about a third of the vote of the Democratic caucus. So you could see where he, you know, he was kind of honing the same message that uh, former President Trump was. He's somebody who was very uh, concerned about some of these trade deals. And, and even though he didn't speak with the same vitriol as the former president, he spoke the same language as those auto workers, you know, the, in Northeast Ohio. And that's why there was resonance there on both sides. And that's frankly probably why Tim Ryan, even though he lost, ran one of the better Senate races we have seen on either side of the past couple of cycles, even though he lost. You know, that might be a model for Democrats to explore in, in years coming. But the other thing that you have to look at is who actually carried those states in 2020. You had a Democrat win in Pennsylvania. Guess who won that state in 2020? President Biden. You had a Republican win in Ohio. Guess who won that state in 2020? Former President Trump. So that tells you a lot about the nature of those states. 
uh, the Democrats did get a little more traction. I remember in uh, in 2016 looking at Montgomery County in Ohio, which is Dayton, which is, uh, you know, it's not the size of Cincinnati or Columbus or Cleveland, but it's a pretty, you know, you know big city in, 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 uh, in Ohio. You look at that in 2016, President Trump carried Montgomery County in 2016, he didn't carry in 2020. And that showed, you know, kind of a, a diminishing issue there. But I think if you look at those parallels between the presidential race in 2020 and the Senate races here in 2022 in those two states, that tells you a lot. That gets into that microcosm that you're referring to. You know, one other anomaly that I noticed last night, maybe you could tell us if it is an anomaly. And this was with Rand Paul, obviously, winning his reelection campaign over uh, Charles Booker. Uh, but the state voted against state constitutional amendment two, which was preventing a legal right to abortion. What does it say about a state that still chooses a pro-life senator, uh, but votes to ensure a legal right to an abortion? What do you make of that, Chad? That, that's a bit of a head scratcher because, you know, we would have thought based on what we saw on the Kansas initiative over the summer, uh, which surprised everybody, the fact that that, you know, came out in favor of the pro-choice voters. Uh, that that might have had a little more resonance in Kentucky, but Kentucky is a red state. Um, you know, so, you know, there's a bit of a, a disconnect there. That's something we're going to have to go down and do, you know, look at the cross tabs and the data to really understand that. That said, uh, maybe the Democrats were onto something with this abortion issue uh, some time ago, you know, in the closing days of the campaign, people said, oh, they might have, you know, really screwed this up. They're just talking about abortion, abortion, abortion. They're not talking about the economy. They're not talking about gasoline prices or something. And look at what happened in Kansas. Sharice Davids, a Democratic representative, won her seat in eastern Kansas. That was a seat that was supposed to be on the line. And the real interesting one when it comes to abortion is that there was an abortion initiative on the ballot in Montana. Montana now has two House seats that will in the new Congress in 2023. Ryan Zinke, the former congressman, former interior secretary, was running there. It looks like at this moment that he's going to pull that out but with a lower percentage, maybe even below 50%. And some people are saying early on, it might have been because of that abortion issue on the ballot in Montana. So, you know, maybe you say, you know, the winds generally blow toward the Democrats uh, when it comes to the abortion issue, but even Montana, which has had some pockets of uh, Democrats for a while, you know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, they had two Democratic senators from Montana. They have one right now. Uh, so maybe some of that resonates in places where there are some Democrats Whereas in the Commonwealth of Kentucky, outside of Louisville, you're hard pressed to find a Democrat these days. Chad, you know, I want to get into some traditional blue states that had some surprising things happen last night. Westmore won the governor's race in Maryland, the first uh, black governor there in that state's history. We saw multiple members of the LGBTQ community win races in Massachusetts, in New Hampshire, in Colorado. Um, what do these victories say about voters across these states? Is it just, well, these are traditional blue states, and so that's why we're seeing this, or is it say something different? In some of those more traditional blue states, Maryland, uh, even though it had a Republican governor until recently, uh, Massachusetts, again, another place that's been you know largely blue, but has had a Republican governor, um, you know, that those kind of social issues and, uh, you know, are more accepted. And those places have not been as caught up in the culture wars uh, that we've seen. And the Republicans tried to ride on that a little bit. In fact, you know, probably going to hear some next week when Jim Jordan, who's prospectively the chair of the Judiciary Committee, has already talked about he wants to get Merrick Garland, the attorney general, in here to talk about what were you saying to all these school boards? You know, what were you saying to parents, you know, who would go and protest at the school board meeting over curriculum, over, you know, transgender rights of students and, and so on? Uh, 
that has not resonated in these more bluish states compared to a purple state or a rock ribbed red state. So that's the difference right there, I think. Chad, uh, I heard last night Mark Thiessen, obviously the former uh, speechwriter for George W. Bush on your network, say something. I want to play the clip here and get your reaction on the opposite end. Take a listen to this. We have the worst inflation in four decades, the worst collapse in real wages in 40 years, the worst crime wave since the 1990s, the worst border crisis in U.S. history. We have Joe Biden, who is the least popular president since Harry Truman, since presidential polling happened, and there wasn't a red wave. That is a searing indictment of the Republican Party. Chad, is he right? What, what do you make of Mark's comments there? Hard to, uh, hard to argue with the facts. And that's kind of what happened. There was not a red wave. I mean, this is the, uh, probably the best that uh, the party of a president has performed in a first uh, year midterm election. You know, the, you know, if you have a first term president, that first uh, midterm election uh, in 20 years. And mainly you go back to 2002, former President George W. Bush. And the Republicans were buoyed by 9-11, you know, we're in this kind of 9-11 period there. And so people you know, are kind of rallying around the flag and, and voting Republican largely. So that says a lot about the deficiency of the message with Republicans. Again, I, I, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago. And I'm talking like a couple of days. We thought that the Democrats may have overplayed their, their hand on abortion and underplayed talking about the economy and inflation. Maybe those things didn't work as much because, again, if you have this tremendously unpopular president, but... Remember what they did get done. Much to the you know, criticism of Republicans, they passed an infrastructure bill. They passed a computer chips bill. They passed, from the Democrats' perspective, their big COVID bill. They passed their big bill that dealt with, uh, you know, it was kind of the scaled back version of Build Back Better, the Inflation Reduction Act, as it was billed. Uh, not sure that it actually reduced inflation, but it did a lot of things that Democrats and, and the left and progressives were, were fairly happy about on, on health and climate issues. So, you know, if they hadn't passed those things, uh, they probably wouldn't have done so well at the polls. And I keep coming back to what I was told about uh, the former president being influential uh, or maybe not influential with those other types of voters that you're trying to court. And again, maybe this reflects where we are in 2018, even though Republicans may have actually won the House. The you know, kind of converse to this is that in 2018, one of the reasons the Democrats captured the House of Representatives was because President Trump was not on the ballot. And so I had one Republican, a senior member of the leadership, uh, say to me this morning, they said, we have to grapple with this if he is going to make his announcement for president next week, because we are having trouble winning elections if uh, you know, he's not on the ballot somewhere. And again, let's look at the popular vote. You know, Republicans have only won the popular vote in a presidential election once since 1988. That is astonishing if you think about the track. I mean, that, that's hard to do, frankly. And maybe that tells you a lot about the paucity of Republicans being willing to vote. And it was just uh, the fact in 2016 that President Trump was the dog that caught the car and maybe to a lesser degree, George W. Bush in 2000. And maybe, you know, if he runs in, 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 in 2024, it might be a similar situation. But certainly in 2020, uh, you know, staggering turnout on both sides of the aisle. And even though you had such amazing turnout by Republicans, the Democrats still bested them and won in the popular vote. He is one of the best people to listen to and break this all down. Chad Pergram, senior congressional uh, correspondent over at Fox News. Chad, I appreciate the time for hopping on the podcast. Continued success to you, sir. And please stay safe. Pleasure was mine. Thank you. 
Your website should be a marketing asset, not an engineering challenge. Empowering everyone from independent designers to whole marketing teams, Webflow combines the power of HTML, CSS, and JavaScript and places them all in a completely visual canvas. Trusted by companies like Lattice and Discord, it changes the way marketers, designers, and engineers create for the web. Now you can build the site you want without the dev time. Start building for free at webflow.com. All right, our thank yous there to Chad Pergram. Like I mentioned, Fox News senior congressional reporter. He's fantastic. Um, go check him out. Follow him on social media. Really covering everything that happened last night. Uh, just quality analysis. Some of the things I asked him there about the anomalies in some of these different states is stuff that we talked about in the first segment. So Chad was great. Check him out there. Um, Nick, final thought real quick, because obviously I mentioned Georgia, Nevada, uh, Arizona votes still being counted. These states take forever to count some of these votes. Uh, Deepa Shivram, I mentioned in the first segment, uh, the NPR reporter who's in Henderson, Nevada, covering this. She is, uh, just posted something as of this taping saying 14,000 votes just got here and these need to be counted and sorted through. They're still working through mail in ballots. They're still working through other things. I mentioned Jimena Bustillo from NPR. She's in Arizona. Her flight got canceled. She's staying there through the week because they still need to count votes. And there's only about, uh, as of right now, 76% of the precincts reporting in for Mark Kelly's race against Blake Masters and obviously the governorship race there between Kerry Lake and Katie Hobbs. What are some of your final takeaways as we sign off here? You know, you talked about Georgia earlier. And, you know, the thing that really stands out there is Brian Kemp, won pretty decisively over Stacey Abrams yet, you know, in the Senate race, we're going to a runoff. Um, we saw a couple of examples of that with this election. And that's, it's something that sits with me about just the conflicting interest that people have in how it plays in the electoral process. But it's also an incredible thing too, because, you know, Brian Kemp doesn't necessarily strike you as a, as a, as a Trumper, you know, I mean, he most famously repudiated the president who was asked essentially asking for votes. That's like on tape. I'm not making this up. Like you can go listen to the tape. He asked for 11,000 votes. Can you find me 11,000 votes? Right. So, but that lack of association allows him to stay, you know, in the good graces of moderate Republicans enough to pull away from Stacey Abrams, um, you know, between all the different issues that we saw, you know, I can't stress enough the Dobbs decision by the Supreme court, resulted in five states on their books at the state level, making sure that you have the right to an abortion. Um, and that discussion in general galvanized so many young voters. Um, and it meant a lot to see Generation Z and, and millennials show up. You know, that's, uh, as I said before, I've never been more happy to be wrong about, <laughs> about something. And they proved, they proved me wrong yesterday. Um, and yeah, it, bottom line, America won last night. I don't care about your party affiliation. I was online yesterday when I voted. The guy in front of me, mid 20s, first election he voted, you know, tells the person when he gives his name, nervous about voting. Uh, and I thanked him, you know, as he was getting ready to vote, um, you know, for showing up today. And again, I don't know which way he voted. But folks, when we all show up, America is all the better for it. So I thank all of you, to our listeners, to everyone who participated in the process yesterday, which certainly. Uh, was probably one of the biggest turnouts we've seen for a midterm race in a long, long time. Uh, and it, it benefits both parties when we continue to to play the battle out. Mike, as you put it, not R&D about right and wrong. Yep. 
Very well said to that guy who was standing in front of Nick Severa. If you want to email us, can we please talk podcast at gmail.com about how you hated that this guy tapped you on the shoulder and asked you and thanked you for your voting, which was very weird. Uh, we leave it there, Mr. Severi. Our thank yous to Chad Pergram of Fox News, senior congressional correspondent. Like I mentioned, go follow Chad across social media. Speaking of social media follows, IG, TikTok, Twitter, at Can We Please Talk Podcast on, on Twitter, at Can We Please Talk. Follow us across social media. You want to watch any of the video interviews that we've done, head to our YouTube channel, hit the subscribe button on Can We Please Talk Podcast. Shout out to ACAST, our hosting platform. Can't do it without them. Can't do it without each and every one of you that listens, watches, writes in, good, bad, or indifferent. You know we love you. As always, I'm Mike Leon. I'm hoping some of these parlays come through this weekend, folks. I'm hurting. I'm Nick Saveri. Boy, the betting audience that's going to fly over their head. We'll see everybody next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.